This morning we're going to go back to the book of Hebrews. And the theme of this book, by the way, is the superiority of Jesus Christ. There's nobody like him. He has no equal. Uh, he's absolutely awesome as the uh, unique Son of God who left the glories of heaven and came here for us to give his life, to die on the cross for our sins, to rise again from the dead. And uh, the point of the book of Hebrews is that the writer is trying his very best to encourage Hebrew believers. That would be Jewish Christians, many who stepped out of Judaism, accepted Jesus as their Savior and Messiah. We sang about the Messiah this morning. And then as a result of becoming Christians, they were persecuted by their countrymen, others around them who did not accept Jesus as the true Messiah, the Son of God. And, and so there were some Jewish believers who were tempted to go back into Judaism because when the book of Hebrews was written, they were still offering sacrifices uh, in uh, Jerusalem and uh, among the Jewish people. There were still being sacrifices uh, offered. Uh, so the book apparently was written before 70 A.D. when Jerusalem was destroyed. So this is the author's uh, goal uh, to encourage believers not to go back into the Old Testament worship, which they were used to, uh, the Old Testament system with its priesthood and uh, with the temple, and uh, not to go back into that, but to realize in Jesus Christ, they had a new life and they had a new faith. And uh, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all that was given in the Old Testament. And there's much in the book of Hebrews about this. So when we're talking about the superiority of Jesus Christ, we're reminding ourselves again, our Lord and our Savior, he's absolutely awesome. There's no, nobody like him. And there's nothing wrong with liking the best. You know, sometimes we say, you know, I like to go to the best restaurants. Not all the time. Can't afford it all the time. But there's nothing wrong with uh, experienced things which we know are blessings from God. Uh, you know, I've said this to people along the way. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being rich. Uh, and there are people in our society today that think that it's, you know, a, a negative thing. for no. God blessed many people in the scriptures who, who had great wealth, uh, Job and Abraham, and there were others, many others. But um, it's how we use the things that God blesses us with, right? Isn't that the important thing? How do we use the thing that God has blessed us with? But um, when we use the word best, we think of things like, well, we live in, I think, the best country in the world. I don't know of any other country I'd like to go to. And I hear about people saying, well, if I go down to the Caribbean, I'm going down to paradise. You mean with the mosquitoes and the hot sun? Or uh, uh, I, I love it, right? Yeah, we have those here. <laughs> we have them here. Uh, I, I do believe we're living in uh, the best country in the world. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. We don't mean by that that every other country is wrong and all they do. We're not implying that. Um, but we understand uh, good, better, best. And uh, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the best. He's superior overall. And uh, that's what the book is really all about. 
In fact, as you begin reading in it, and we're going to look at sections of it together, uh, you see that Christ is better than the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, and that was found in verses 1 through 3. And we looked at that uh, two weeks ago, uh, the fact that um, the Lord himself, uh, God spoke through the prophets. And, of course, the people of Israel often didn't listen to the prophets who came and told them that they need to uh, repent of their sins and turn to the Lord. He told the people of Israel this, but they didn't always do it. That verses 1 through 3 says, God has spoken in times past by the prophets, but now he has spoken to us through his Son. And it's vitally important that we listen to the Son. He is the brightness of God's glory. This is in verses 1 through 3. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He created all things by his word, and now he is upholding all things in the universe in verses 1 through 3. He purged our sins. In a few minutes, we're going to go to the table, and we're going to say, Thank you, Lord, for taking care of my sins. We can't do that on our own. We have to have Jesus do it for us when we put our faith and trust in him. He died to pay for our sins. And now he sits at the right hand of his Father in heaven. And there really is the throne of God in heaven. And we will be there someday. And we're going to see in just a few minutes, um, Christ is better than the angels, it says in the text. And we will be there in heaven. We've got to get to reality here. We've got to get to reality when we die as believers, it's absent from the body and home or present with the Lord. And we will see the throne room of God. We will see the Lord Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. And it's going to be absolutely awesome. And that's the real world. And there are a lot of people who don't even think in that direction. Even sometimes Christians don't think that far ahead of the blessing of the Lord. But this morning we're going to focus on the fact that Jesus Christ is better than the angels. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about angels. And, uh, in fact, in 33 books of the Bible, angels are mentioned. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ himself affirmed the existence of angels. And I'm going to read the verse. It's Matthew 18:10, where Jesus said, Take heed that you despise not, do not despise one of these little ones, little children. For I say to you that in heaven, an actual place, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now that's the New King James. Uh, it could be translated that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of the Father in heaven. In other words, a couple things from this verse. Every child has an angel of protection. Every child has an angel that's watching over them. But so do we as adults. I don't think they give up when we turn 18 and they say, ah, let's let another angel take over here. <laughs> uh, it doesn't happen that way. Uh, but I do believe that angels uh, are, and we'll mention this again just briefly, <clears throat> uh, available or dispatched by God to help us in time of need. And our children, and you and I know as parents, sometimes it's very difficult to let our children go certain places, I still can remember when our boys went off to uh, kindergarten. I remember the days very vividly uh, when I said, oh boy, they won't be with us all day long. And uh, yet the Lord's watching over them and they have an angel watching over them and that is clear 
in the Word of God, Matthew 18, 10. And, of course, Jesus also talked about angels when he talked about his coming back again. The second coming when he comes down to the earth, uh, he said in Matthew 25, 37, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. So um, we are amongst those who believe that there's a time in the future in which, well, let's do a little quick review here. Next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church where a living generation of believers are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, dead in Christ, they're raised, they get their resurrection bodies. We're caught up to meet the Lord. Seven years of judgment on the earth follow. Revelation chapter 6 through 19. Wow, what events happen here on the earth. The Antichrist comes into power and all these things will happen. At the end of the tribulation period, you're going to have that battle of Armageddon when Christ comes back and he ends that battle. And then Jesus Christ goes into Jerusalem where he will rule and reign for a thousand years of peace on the earth. And these are beautiful events recorded in Scripture. And the Lord Jesus said when he comes back again, he's bringing angels with him. And that is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. The Bible tells us that the angels were created by the Word of God, just like our creation. Uh, God spoke our world into existence and uh, we covered that not too many weeks ago in our, uh, I call it still junior boys, middle school boys class, where we're explaining to them that God created our world without any material things. He spoke our world into existence. And he, again, spoke the angelic beings into existence. Also, uh, Colossians 1.16 tells us uh, that Angels were created by Christ and for Christ. It's God the Son who was involved in creation and was involved in the creation of the angels. The Bible tells us that they were created holy. In other words, they were created set apart unto God. Uh, they had that ability to choose, of course, and some chose to follow Satan, but they were created holy, and they're innumerable. In other words, from man's standpoint, you can't count them. Uh, we can't count them. When we see them, it's going to be awesome to see the angels of God and not even be able to count how many are there. Uh, the Bible tells us that angels appeared to people in Scripture, and oftentimes when he appeared to people, fill in the blank, when an angel showed up and there was a, even a believer, what, what was their e emotional reaction? They were afraid. I mean, we would be too, you know, if an angel appeared to us, especially at 11 o'clock at night. And all the lights were out. Um, <laughs> could happen. <laughs> but um, yes, uh, angels appeared in form of a human being oftentimes. They appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, where they appeared to Abraham and they said to Abraham, Abraham, uh, your wife's going to conceive a son in your old age, and uh, I'm going to bless you, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, through your seed. And. Um, there were two angels that came with the angel of the Lord. I believe that was the, the uh, pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, angels are personal beings. They have intellects, emotions, and will. I have verses jotted down for that. They have great knowledge, but their knowledge is limited. They're not omniscient like God is. Um, angels uh, appear and disappear quickly, and that's in the Bible too, but... They're not omnipresent like God is. Uh, they can only be in one location at one time. Uh, they're not omnipresent. And there are 
good angels and fallen angels. The Bible tells us the fallen angels are called demons. And there's two kinds of fallen angels. There's fallen angels that are bound right now uh, in, in a place created by God. And there are fallen angels that are loose in our world today. And that's why it says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this age. And that's why sometimes you may say as a believer, boy, I really feel it. And I've heard Christians say this even recently, very recently. uh, Satan's on my back, and uh, there are demonic forces active in our world. But when you have a friend in Christ who's worried about being bothered by... uh, Fallen angels, demonic forces. What's the verse that you should encourage them with? I'll start it and you finish it. If you know someone who says, you know, I, I, I think Satan's on my back. I think demonic spirits are bothering me. I've been in a place where it, it seems like God's not in ultimate control, which all, always he is in ultimate control. But there is uh, demonic um, oppression and those things happen. So what verse do we say to a Christian who says, you know, I think I'm being bothered by Satan or demonic forces. We say, greater is he that is in you than... Very important. To keep reminding ourselves that we're indwelled as believers by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is certainly greater than uh, the forces of evil around us. There's a lot in the Bible about angels uh, and, and they're interesting things to read. Um, Michael is one of the uh, archangels. Uh, in fact, he's the only archangel that's mentioned by name in Scripture. Are there any Michaels here this morning? Not one. Well, I won't live that one down. <laughs> Michael Wilson said, but I'll tell you what, he's no angel. Michael, you'll forgive me, won't you, Michael? <laughs> I was I was thinking this morning. I say, Michael, Michael, and and I don't know why, Michael, but and I see him often, even during the week. Oh, we'll forget it. <laughs> you'll forgive me, right, Michael? <laughs> and uh, Gabriel, he was the angel of higher rank who delivered messages. He delivered messages to Daniel in the Old Testament, Zechariah, and of course Mary. And uh, angels are. The good angels, they're messengers of God. And you know, we're messengers of God as well. We are the people that God uses in our world today to share his word. Jesus said, pardon me, to the disciples, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost part of the earth. And there are some people, you see, in our sphere of influence, if you want to draw a nice big circle, in our sphere of influence, that God wants you or he wants me to speak to, to encourage about him, the one who's greater than the angels. There are some people that the Lord may be wanting you to speak to soon. Uh, because remember, the Lord's coming back, and we never know when he's coming back. Uh, it's We're messengers as well, not just the angels. Angels, of course, appear before God, Job chapter 6, where they went into the presence of the Lord. Angels worship God, and I put in the bulletin, Angels worship God, and so do we. In fact, it's going to be interesting when we're in heaven, and uh, that uh, Revelation chapters 4 and 5, that great worship scene in heaven, it's going to be interesting to be there 
And uh, I believe that scene describes something even yet future when we will be there as believers and you may be standing right next to an angel. And his name might be Michael for all we know. (laughs) Angels appear before God, they worship God, they obey God, and how awesome this is. They also protect and guard believers. And I did want to look again, if you hold your hand in um, Hebrews chapter 1, Look at Psalm 91. This, is, this psalm is absolutely awesome. Uh, you and I know that uh, much edification comes when we even break away from other areas of Scripture, go back to the psalms for uh, the encouragement of the psalmist and his relationship to the Lord. But Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, you'll notice there's a promise here. We'll start at verse 9. But you have made the Lord who is my refuge. Notice that. The Lord is our refuge. Even the Most High, your dwelling place, we dwell in the presence of the Lord. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Watch this now, verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Angels do protect us. They really do. Um, There are many examples given in Scripture of the protection of angels over some of God's people. I'll just mention some. Lot in Genesis 14. Joseph in Genesis 48. uh, Obviously the people of Israel in uh, the first five books of the Bible actually. Um, Daniel the prophet. David the king. um, The apostle Peter. Uh, angels are watching over us and we do have a protective angel that's with us and uh, he has been given to us by God by the Lord himself angels guide us, give strength and give comfort Um, but here's the thing we're going to look at in Hebrews 1 in fact go back to Hebrews 1 because I want you to notice this little phrase Angels are awesome to think about what they do. But here's what you need to remember. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus Christ, verse 3, purged our sins, sat down at the right hand on high, where he has become so much better than the angels. You see, when some people hear about the things that angels do, they actually there have been people who have worshipped or tried to worship angels. Even the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, when he heard so many wonderful things, he was going to bow down. And the angel said, no, don't bow down before me. Worship God. He's the only one that should be worshipped. Angels are awesome, but they cannot forgive us of sin. They cannot give us victory in the Christian life. And they are not worthy of our worship. We only want to worship the Lord. Now, quickly, I love this section of Scripture. Notice again the point of the um, writer of Hebrews is that Christ is superior to the prophets. He's already mentioned that. He's now superior to angels. Lest there were some who in the, I'm going to call it messianic Jewish early church community, those who accepted Jesus as Messiah, but they were Christian. There were some who, now I've heard two views on this. There's some who say, well, these who were thinking of going back may not have been really saved. 
I'm not so sure of that. I think that they were um, being tempted, as even some Christians that we know may be tempted to go back into the old life or the way I used to live before I trusted Christ. Uh, sometimes when people experience tremendous trials, severe persecution, and that's what the Hebrew Christians were experiencing. By the way, they were experiencing severe trials. They were saying, well, maybe we better go back and worship in the temple and not worship with these Christians uh, who follow Jesus Christ and uh, believe that he's the Messiah. Maybe we just better go back into the Old Testament system. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, you don't want to do this because Jesus Christ is greater than the prophets and he's greater than the angels. Now notice how he says it. You, you, you'll like looking at this. Verse 4 again. Having become so much better than the angels as he had by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than them than they, for to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Oh, here it is. You see, Jesus Christ is better than the angels because he's the son. He's God the son. And uh, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name. And the more excellent name is Son, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, some people will say, well, aren't sometimes angels referred to as sons of God? They are, but that's collectively. The Lord never referred to one individual angel as a son, only his son, his eternally begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this is a quotation. You'll notice there are eight quotations in this section of the superiority of Christ over angels. Now, you say, yeah, that's interesting. It's really interesting because God's trying to make a point through the writer of Hebrews. Angels are awesome. They do awesome things. But our Savior is so much greater, loves us so much, paid for our sins, forgives us when we sin. We're coming to the table in just a few minutes. He's an awesome Savior. And that's because he's the Son. In fact, the quotation is from Psalm 2-7 here in the verse where it says, um, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or we could read it this way, you are my son, and this day I have declared your sonship. And I believe that day was referring to the day Christ rose from the dead. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was, in fact, it says again in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 4, he was declared to be the son of God with power. And you know, if you want to um, encourage someone in their relationship to the Lord, to Jesus, you can do it. In fact, I, I try to remember this all the time. I, I say sometimes, how am I going to talk to this neighbor about the Lord? You know, where do I, where do I get started? How am I going to talk to this? Well, you know, you know the superior one, the one who's superior over all things. You know Jesus Christ, and you know what he did. And so you use the gospel. Again, you say, you know, uh, my faith, by the way, uh, I have a church family, and I have a place where I worship, but my faith and trust is in Jesus who left the glories of heaven and came down here, lived a sinless life, and went to the cross and suffered and died and paid for my sins and rose from the dead. See, there's the power of Christ. And you, you say, well, you know, if I tell somebody this, they may not believe. That's okay from the human standpoint because it's up to the Holy Spirit to take the words that you say and to work them into the heart 
of those who need Christ. Okay? And so oftentimes I'll have someone say, well, my uncle doesn't know Christ as Savior, or my sister doesn't know Christ as Savior, or someone in my family doesn't know Christ. But you see, the Lord may use you. We're not trying just to get them to church. We would love to have them come to worship, but what do we want them to have? Jesus is their Lord and Savior. So God will use you when you use the gospel. Jesus is the Son of God, declared to be the Son of God with power. I'm going to mention one or two more, and we'll go to prayer, the Lord's Supper. He is served by angels in 1 7. And, the, uh, and of the angels, he says, another quotation, he makes his angels spirits and his ministers of flame of fire. Ministers. Ministers are those who serve. And, and the angels serve God, and they serve Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The text says this very clearly. He's also enthroned, 8 and 9. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Once in a while, you'll come across someone who doesn't believe that Jesus is God the Son. Okay? And it doesn't hurt to be able to go to a verse and... Uh, <clears throat> And so, you know, the Bible clearly says that Jesus Christ is God the Son. Okay? Because God the Father said clearly to the Son, uh, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You see, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. Oftentimes we say, what will we see when we get to heaven? We'll see the throne of God. We'll see the angels of God. And we'll see Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And uh, we will know he's there for us, and we will know why we're there uh, because of what he has done for us. So Jesus Christ, wow, he's greater than the angels. To the Lord Jesus, the Father said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. What's the destiny of Jesus? Forever on the throne. What's the destiny of angels? Verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits? Look at verse 14 sent out to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Oh, by the way, that's you and me. <laughs> We're the ones who inherited salvation when we put our trust in Jesus. Remember we talked about the fact that there is an angel watching over you? And we like to kid one another and say, yeah, I know somebody needs more than one angel, especially when they drive. <laughs> there is an angel who is watching over us. And, you know, this is encouraging. It really is to know about angels. But you see, they're servants. They're servants of God. And what I'd like for us to remember when we look at this passage of Scripture, yes, there are angels out, but who were they dispatched by? The Lord, right? They were dispatched by Him. God assigned the angel who's watching over you. And He's the one who is in sovereign control. So the writer of Hebrews said, Jesus is greater than the angels and he loves us so very much he went to the cross and died and paid for our sins so we will come to the Lord's table which we love to do and here at the Lord's table we give thanks for the fact that Jesus Christ laid down his life on the cross for you and for me I want us to remember as we come to the Lord's table this is a special time together and in fact, that, uh, that truth really struck me when I thought of the fact that um, the Lord's Supper comes out of the time when the Lord Jesus was with the disciples celebrating Pentecost. Passover, I'm sorry, Passover. 
And at the Passover celebration, the Jewish people celebrated the fact that they were brought out of physical slavery and bondage in Egypt. Well, you and I, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which reminds us that we were brought out of the bondage of sin. Very important. And you see the uh, Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Tabernacles, they were all called, don't miss this now please, they were all called a holy convocation. You look at it in Leviticus 23, I read it again this morning. It was a time when God wanted his people to come together. And it was a holy time. You see, the celebration of the Passover was a very special time for the people of Israel. God gave that time of celebration to them. And when Jesus sat down with the disciples, he said, yes, we will celebrate the fact that we were delivered from physical slavery. But men, I'm going to deliver you from the power of sin. And you know, when I come to the table this morning, I'm with you. I really am. I'm with you. I am so thankful uh, for my spiritual background and how the Lord uh, has protected me from certain sins. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm not sinless. Oh, I've had sin to confess. But how the Lord has protected my life. And um, when we come to the Lord's table, this is a special time. In fact, it says in Leviticus 23, when you read it later, it's, you'll notice it says the Sabbath day was a day of holy convocation. In other words, when God's people got together and there was a holiness about it. There was a specialness about it because um, the Lord was doing something. In fact, in the holy convocations, whether it was Passover, Pentecost, or one of the other, God's people would get together for two reasons, and we're doing that at the table this morning. One was to confess their sin. Uh, they were to examine their hearts and let the Lord forgive them and restore their fellowship with him. The second thing in the holy convocations, whether it was Sabbath day or one of those festivals, they thanked the Lord for the special blessings upon their lives. And, and God blessed the Jewish people tremendously. Now, when they wandered away, he let them go off into captivity. But many, many times they experienced tremendous special blessing. Many times when they faced enemies, you know this from your reading of the Bible, God came and he defeated their enemies right in front. They didn't even have to raise a sword. He, sent, he spared, uh, he, he killed 183,000 Assyrians at one occasion. So we experienced tremendous blessings because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So there's two things we do when we come to the table. The first one is we have to examine ourselves and make sure there's nothing there that God doesn't want there in our lives. We need to be mature enough as people and as Christians to say, Lord, here's some things that I said or I did or that I know are not pleasing to you. You might even want to say, Lord, there's, there's probably something you want out of my life so that I have more time for you. Um, we, we have to be serious with the Lord when we come to the Lord's table. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, let's examine ourselves and then eat the bread together and drink the cup together. Also, as you come to the table, be thanking the Lord for the special blessings that he's given you, your family, your loved ones. 
your your job, the place you live. Um, so many blessings that the Lord gives to us. So we want to do both these. So we'll take a few moments of quietness. Ask the Lord to forgive something that may need to be forgiven in your life. You may say, Lord, here's something. I've got to get this out of my life. And I'm so thankful that you rescued me. And I see a lot of people around who are in bondage to sin. And Lord, you've rescued you and you've worked with my thoughts. And you've helped me to say no to this and yes to this. So Lord, help me as I come to the table to confess what I need to confess. And then to give thanks for your blessings in my life, my family.